Today on Living Truth Radio, Pastor Michael Lance continues his message in Genesis 49 with part four of Jacob's prophecy. Today, Jacob prophesies to his sons Zebulon, Issachar, and Dan. We are almost through with the book of Genesis. Can you believe it? But we have a few messages to go. And we're going to look at Jacob's prophecy as he lay on his deathbed with his sons gathered around him. Genesis 49. Well, as uh, Jacob was on his deathbed, he first addressed his uh, first four sons from Leah. We remember that Jacob had uh, 12 sons plus a daughter. The daughter's name was Dinah. She doesn't get a whole lot of press. I'm sorry, ladies, but she just doesn't. But um, the sons have gathered around dad at his deathbed, and he's prophesying over the sons. And the sons are, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so he uh, addressed Reuben, Reuben and, in verse 3, chapter 49, Simeon and Levi in verse 5, Judah in verses 8 through 10, and gave us this incredible prophecy through the line of Judah. The lion of Judah, the line of Judah says... The scepter, 49.10, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes, his eyes are full up from wine, and his teeth white from milk. We talked about those are some signs of uh, blessing and prosperity. And that's where we left off last time, that this prophecy comes that through the line of Judah, who's actually the fourth son from Leah, who is kind of the unloved wife, Judah emerges as a man that God is going to use, his family line is going to use incredibly. Judah's name means praise. And Judah was not a perfect man. This family is not a perfect family. There's a lot of, you know, dysfunction, we could say, that went on with this family. And yet God is going to use this family to be a blessing to the entire world. I was reading a commentary just today, and one author was saying that the book of Genesis opens with a blessing and it ends with a blessing. And that's really what uh, is happening here with Jacob. Jacob has decided that he wants to bless his children, and the blessing is a prophecy as well. And so what appears to be happening is that his sons are standing around him uh, by their mother. So there's four different moms involved. So you have uh, sons of Leah, and then you have sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, and you have sons from Rachel, and they are gathered around dad. And dad begins to dress now a man named Zebulun. Look at verse 13. He says, Zebulun shall dwell at or toward the seashore, and he shall be a haven for ships, and his flank, the word flank means the edge or his border, ESV, NIV, shall be toward Sidon or Sidon. So all of a sudden, now Zebulun is given a prophecy about where he's going to abide. So you, you can think about you know, these incredible prophecies about uh, geographic regions. Dave, turn me down just a little bit more, if you would. Geographic regions and things that would happen in the future for these people. Um, Zebulun is mentioned here, and he is going to be at or, uh, the Hebrew could be toward the seashore. 
So Zebulun and Naphtali are literally by the sea. Take, a, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, this area becomes very famous for these words. It's a prophecy from the book of Isaiah, Matthew 4. But here's what it says. It's verse 12. Matthew 4, verse 12. And it's describing the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Matthew records a temptation that he goes through uh, from the devil in verses 1 through 11. Jesus was tempted and then Matthew has a gap in it that's filled in by the Gospel of John. But Matthew goes here next. He says, Matthew 4, verse 12, Now when he had heard that John had been taken into custody, he, Jesus, withdrew into Galilee, Matthew 4, 13. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of, note it, Zebulun and Naphtali. Now these are two of the sons of Israel. And Zebulun has just mentioned, been mentioned in a prophecy that we just read about. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death upon them a light dawned. It's interesting that Jacob is on his deathbed. Jesus comes to this land that's in the shadow of death, and from that time, verse 17, Matthew 4, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you'll notice that Jesus begins to call now his apostles. He calls Peter, and he calls his brother Andrew, and he calls James and John. And the apostles, uh, 11 of the 12 apostles come from this region, from uh, the Sea of Galilee region between the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee. Eleven of the twelve apostles come from this region. There's only one of them that doesn't. Can you guess who it was? Genesis 49, if you go back there. It was Judas. Judas is the only one that wasn't uh, from the Galilee region. He was actually from the area of Judah. And his name, Judas Iscariot, is actually the town or village to identify him. Jesus was called Jesus of Nazareth. Judas was called Judas Iscariot to kind of differentiate him from other people. And he was the only one that was from the south. Everybody else was from the northern region, which is kind of interesting given what Judas ended up doing. But Jesus goes to this, what we might say, an unexpected place to tribal areas that are not the most prominent tribes. Benjamin was a huge pride uh, tribe. Uh, you, have, you have other tribes that take great prominence in, in the life of Israel, but Zebulun and Naphtali, I mean, really? I mean, who have you heard of from those tribes, right? And yet it's in that area of the world, it's in that region of Israel that Jesus calls the nobodies of the world. Uh, those who were from this area were kind of made fun of because they were up north and they weren't in the holiest region down south in Jerusalem. And God calls unexpected people from unexpected places to do great things. And these men changed the world. Judas, of course, you know, betrayed the Lord and, and he perished. But then the Apostle Paul came into the group and we also have Matthias. And, and so here's what happens. Uh, God can call you from, you know, an unexpected place and even an unexpected time and use you in unexpected ways. And that's what he does. The next prophecy comes to a man named Issachar. Look at verse 14, chapter 49. Issachar 
is a strong donkey. <laughs> now, that doesn't sound like a, a very encouraging word, does it? He's a strong donkey lying down between the sheepfolds. Um, I'm not going to try to say this in the King James uh, version because, anyway, there's another word for donkey, but we won't go there. He's a strong donkey. Some people say, well, this is automatically pejorative. This is, this is a way of saying he's a no good. But in the ancient world, donkeys were not looked down upon. They were actually a very prominent animal. They were strong and peaceful. And Jesus rode in on a donkey, right? The foal of a donkey. And uh, kings would ride on these animals. And so this isn't necessarily a negative way of saying things. But notice he lies down. That may have some negativity to it between the sheepfolds. And when he saw the resting place was good, he said, ah, oh, I don't know how a donkey talks, but that looks good. <laughs> and he rested. And he said, it says, and that the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became, notice, a slave at forced labor. And when you read on this a little bit, what scholars say is that it seems like in this particular case, Issachar started off well. He was doing good, but then all of a sudden he kind of found a place to kick it and he decided the land was good. It's almost like when Lot, you know, had the choice, which way do you want to go? I'll, I'll go the opposite way, Uncle Abraham said. And Lot saw Sodom and it was you know, well-watered, and hey, that looks like a great place, but Sodom was known for what? Terrible sin, and he kind of landed there, and he kicked back there, and he got himself in trouble. Sometimes we, we see something that looks like a pleasant place. It looks good. You know, Eve, the fruit looked good to the eye. It was able to make one wise, but when she took the bite, she went into we might call forced labor. You know, Jesus said, anyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And sometimes what we do is we get ourselves in trouble when we're not doing what God's called us to do. King David is an example. At a time when kings were supposed to be at war, King David was up on his rooftop. He saw the woman bathing and he got himself in trouble. And so the old saying is true that, you know, as if we uh, sit around idle, it can be the devil's playground. And we need to be busy about our father's business. And so notice that um, Issachar is a strong donkey. I think there's some positive th positives there. But all of a sudden he gets himself in trouble. Uh, at the time of the judges, Issachar's descendants, together with Zebulun, bravely rallied, by the way, to Deborah and Barak, or Barak, in their struggle against the Canaanites. Go to the book of Judges for a second. So you pass up the first five books of Moses, and you got Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Go to Judges 5, and look at verse 1. Judges 5, verse 1. It says, Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, that the leaders led in Israel, the people volunteered, bless the Lord. Judges 5, verse 3. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. Uh, I, to the Lord, I will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when thou didst go up from Seir, when thou didst march from the field of Edom, the earthquake, the heavens also dripped, 
Judges 5.4, even the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. This Sinai at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. There's a lot of tough names there, so skip down. <laughs> you are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. And trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. Look at verse 7. The peasantry ceased. They ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, mother in, a mother in Israel. New gods were chosen. Then war was in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel. The volunteers among the people bless the Lord. You who ride, what's your Bible say? On white donkeys. You who sit on re- rich carpets. And you who travel on the road, sing. And the sound of those who divide flocks among the watering places. And they shall recount, they shall recount the righteous deeds of the Lord, the righteous deeds of his peasantry in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the gates. Now, skip down for a second and you'll see the people of this resolve who they were. Look at verse 15. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As was Issachar, so was Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels among the divisions of Reuben. There was great resolves of heart. There were great resolves of heart, verse 16. Why do you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the piping of the flocks? Among the divisions of Reuben there was great searchings of heart. Gilead remained, remained across the Jordan. Why did Dan stay in, in ships? Asher sat at the seashore and remained by its landings. Zebulun was a people who despaired, excuse me, who despised their lives even to death, and Naphtali also on the high places of the field. These tribes actually stepped up while other tribes just sat back and did nothing. So there was good stuff that happened from these tribes, and then they became complacent. Go back to the book of Genesis. Sometimes we do good stuff for a while for the kingdom of God. We're excited. We're on fire. We're witnessing to people, leading others to Christ. And all of a sudden, we begin to lest, rest on our laurels. Lest on our laurels. <laughs> and we, all the stories we tell are from 10 years ago when you led someone to the Lord. Well, what's going on now? What's God doing in your life right now? You know, every day is an adventure for the Christian, and we don't want to become complacent or settled or too comfortable. And in, in this case, this tribe actually ended up in forced labor because they got complacent. 49.16. Dan is the next one who is addressed by his father. Dan shall judge. The word judge in Hebrew is not like a judge in a court of law here. A judge, we just read from the book of what? Judges. And the book of Judges is about people who did what? They delivered Israel. And one of the most famous judges from the tribe of Dan was a man named 
Samson. And Samson's story is recorded in Judges 13 through 16, those chapters. And Samson was a mighty warrior of God. And notice what it says. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent or a viper in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like snakes. Don't like snakes at all. Uh, this will date me, but the Indiana Jones movie when... He finally outruns the, you know, the tribesmen and gets on the plane and there's a snake in the plane. <laughs> and the guy, the, the pilot says, oh, that's my pet snake, Reggie. And he says, I hate snakes. I hate them. And the pilot says, oh, get some backbone, would you? After Indiana's gone through all this terrible stuff. Well, people tend to think that this is a negative picture, but remember, Jacob is giving a blessing on his deathbed, and even though he's real, and each child, each son is going to, going to be given a prophecy that, is, that fits him, in this case, there are many scholars and commentators that believe that this is a positive statement about a coming leader from the tribe of Dan, whose name is Samson. And let me give you both arguments. The one argument is, oh, this is a negative statement, and the snake is the tribe of Dan. And here's what happens. Many of their uh, tribesmen, if you will, future generations will fall away from the living God and fall away from the faith. And we do know under King Jeroboam that he set up two golden calves. And one of the golden calves he put where? Up in the area of Dan, which is all the way in the northern part of Israel. And scholars say Dan uh, embraced a lot of idolatry because of the location of the tribe. Now, if you go, uh, we have about 50 people going to Israel. Can you believe that? Uh, in a year, uh, we're, we're going to have to get a big bus. It's, how many of you are going to Israel with us? All right, this is going to be awesome. Anyway, and so uh, up, up there, you're on the Syrian border. There's actually like a little rickety fence. And <laughs> that's where you, but you can, you can walk up and there's some places where you can see some ancient altars. They're kind of stone altars. And it's there that they believe that the worship of the golden calf may have taken place. And this is what happened to the tribe of Dan. And so Dan got in trouble and there was idolatry there. But there, there were a lot of medieval Jewish commentators who understood the metaphor of the viper to be Samson, who by his stealth and trickery defeated the Philistines. And he judged Israel in the sense of bringing victory. Uh, the word for judge in the Hebrew language, as I mentioned, can mean one who protects. God is called the judge of orphans and widows in the Bible. And in the Hebrew uh, picture language, the word for uh, Dan here is judge, and the judge is the door of life. Uh, he's the one who protects you and uh, guards you. And so uh, in this sense, even when we think about God being our judge, it can have a positive connotation as long as we don't end up at the white throne judgment. Amen? If we end up at the Bema seat judgment, that's the, that's the place where the judge is going to reward us, right? So the Bema is like the elevated platform for an Olympic athlete who gets from the judge a medal. Okay, that's what's going to happen for the Christian. But for the unbeliever ending up at the great white throne judgment, they're going to be told, depart from me, I never knew you. And so the word can have some different connotations based upon 
um, the context. But there were people in Israel who forsook the judge. God said in Jeremiah 15, 6, you who forsake me, declares the Lord, you who have forsaken me, you keep going backward. So I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. God says, I am tired of relenting. Jeremiah 7, verse 24 says, Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels. And in the stubbornness of their evil heart, they went backward instead of forward. We have sayings in our culture. I feel like I'd take two steps forward and how many back? Hopefully only one. (laughs) But which direction are you moving right now? Somebody once said that the Christian life is like climbing a greased pole. You're either going up or you're sliding down. By the way, as a Christian, all it takes for you to drift is to do nothing. Have you ever paddled out at Newport Beach? I I, uh, used to surf back in the day, and I went, uh, my wife and I had a chance to stay at the beach for a couple of days, and I went to one of those surf shops, and I rented a board, and when I rented the board, the gal behind the counter started laughing at me. (laughs) She was like, you want that one? I'm like, it's a surfboard, ain't it? She's like, okay, here you go. And I went out there and paddled out there, but you know how you'll have uh, the lifeguard tower, and maybe it'll say 32, and, and there you are, right? And all of a sudden, you've been sitting on your board. You're trying to look like a surfer. You haven't even done anything because you're just totally out of breath. You forgot how hard it was to paddle. Can I get a witness? <laughs> you're trying to catch a wave. Nope, not for about a half an hour. And, and you look back, and all of a sudden, the lifeguard tower is over there. What happened? Well, you did nothing. And all it takes to drift is for you to do nothing. Christian life is an active life. And so the prophecy now comes, and I'll leave it up to you to decide which way that one goes. But uh, Dan, you know, had, and of course we know what happened with Samson, right? Samson got himself in trouble with a girl named Delilah, right? Delilah wasn't like trying to hide what she wanted to do. She said, "Uh, I'd really, you know, just like to take you out, so just tell me the secret of your strength. The Philistines are upon you. And then he was, oh, didn't really give you the secret. But then finally, day after day, she kept asking him the secret of his strength. And he got sick and tired of being sick and tired. He said, all right. The strength is in my hair. Give me a haircut and I'm done. Somebody say he went to supercut. <laughs> it was an unsupercut. Anyway, and all of a sudden in the prophecy, remember Jacob on his deathbed, he gives the prophecy about Dan, and all of a sudden he, he says, look at verse 18, for thy salvation I wait, O Lord. You're like, what? Why did he do that right there at the moment, right after he prophesied about Dan? Well, could that give us evidence that Dan was really a judge in the book of Judges sense? Like a deliverer, I wait for thy salvation. Was the mention of a snake, did that make uh, Jacob's mind go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the snake came in and and our first parents fell and we need a deliverer and we have the pre-evangel all the way in Genesis 3.15, could it be? He says, I wait for thy salvation. I wait, O Lord, for your salvation. By the way, this is the first 
mention of salvation in the Bible. In Genesis 49. And you know what the word salvation in Hebrew is? Yeshua. Yeshua. And that's the Hebrew and the Greek form of Yeshua is Jesus. And so we could translate this, For thy Yeshua I wait, O Lord. Now did Jacob know that Yeshua was coming? Did he know the name of Jesus? I don't think so. But I think Jacob at least knew, remember he's prophesying by the power of the Holy Spirit, I think he knew that a coming deliverer was coming. I don't think he obviously knew everything that we know today with the benefit of the Bible and so forth. But do you remember when Simeon was in the temple area and he, and he looked at the baby Jesus and he said, now I can depart in peace for my eyes have seen thy Yeshua, your salvation. I like what you said that everything is in working order and how it was brought into existence, into creation. Now, you've already mentioned this in the first two chapters, is that everything was created by a spoken word. But what was so special about man and how he was created? Yes, I mean, that's early on in these chapters as well, that man is made in God's image. In the image of God, he made them male and female. And then that leads us into marriage. And so, Mm -hmm. you know... We've talked about this many times over the years that Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are crucial Mm -hmm. because they set the foundation for everything. And what, you know, from the image bearer of God, we move, you know, quickly into a fall chapter where, you know, uh, we ask questions about death, disease, you know, what we call natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes. Mm -hmm. And and we kind of see creation in many ways groaning. Uh, you know, this morning, Oscar, I just got news that two people in our fellowship have passed away. They've gone home to be with the Lord. Mm. And, you know, that that's this morning. Yes. Um, you know, we, we turn on the news and we see flooding in Texas and we see hurricanes and tornadoes ripping through places. And, and earthquakes. Earthquakes and persecution. And and so all this stuff and, and trying to make sense of the world, even you could say your own world, uh, you need to understand you're made in God's image, and God had a plan, and that plan got messed up uh, by us, frankly. Yes, and how special are we really? We, of course, think that our, our own selves, we think highly of ourselves to where we already know we're special, but to know and understand that the Bible says that we are made in His image. So when we look at another person out in the street, a stranger, we need to remember that even they are special in the eye of God. Each human being is uh, an image bearer of the Most High God, and we so easily can be in awe of a sunset or a snow-capped mountain or a beautiful bird in flight and quickly pass by the one uh, creature made in God's image, Mm -hmm. which is man. And so, you know, we messed it up, Oscar, and uh, we have the fall chapter, and then we have... Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.